You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, I started looking at the, the book of 1 John. Uh, we started looking at the, the letter of 1 John last week, this letter written by the Apostle John, most probably to church in Ephesus, but uh, churches scattered across Asia Minor. And so um, this is, I think, a very relevant book to us, hence it's being preserved in the canon of scripture. Um, but I, there's a real specific reason for that relevance to us that I feel like the Lord has highlighted the book of 1 John to me and we're gonna be working our way through the book of 1 John over the, over the coming weeks. But um, the book of 1 John was written later than many of the other New Testament letters and it was addressing a specific need within the church of a waning devotion to the Lord, a declining devotion to King Jesus, an apathy rising up in the church. Um, as people, as, as persecution really diminished and things got a little more comfortable in the church, decades passed and people started to get more comfortable. They started to look around and and, and figure, try to uh, understand how can we make Christianity more palatable, more respectable to modern society, to, to secular society, and, and things began to, to go in that direction. And so the Apostle John, with that apostolic authority, is bringing correction in the church, redirecting them back to the supremacy of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, um, the deity of Christ. And so I'll just read, read, from you, or read to you from a scholar. This is what he said of First John. He said, in the first days of Christianity, the early days of Christianity, there was a glory and a splendor. But now Christianity had become a thing of habit, traditional, half-hearted, nominal. Does it sound familiar? But men had grown used to it and something of the wonder was lost. Jesus knew men and he had said, most men's love will grow cold. So John was writing at a time when for some at least, the first thrill was gone and the flame of devotion had died to a flicker. So the apostle John is writing with that sort of apostolic authority to light a fire in the heart of the church. First to the church in Ephesus, but this would be a letter that would be um, passed around from church to church across Asia Minor. And that was his heart, was that devotion would be rekindled in the church. Singular devotion to Jesus. And they would stop looking around. They would stop navel gazing and being all introspective of how they can be more acceptable to the world around them. But they would realize they're distinctive as Christ himself in their midst. So it's really interesting. There's this Greek word, the Greek word is hagios. And we translate the word hagios, that Greek word, to the word holy. In the most literal sense, the word hagios means to be different. That's what it means, to be different. And Christ has called us, his church, hagios. He's called us holy. So we're called to be different. So we, need to, we just need to embrace that reality. We will not be accepted by the world at their terms. That doesn't mean we need to be abrasive. It does not mean we need to... Uh, try extra hard to be different. No, Christ himself is what makes us different. So you don't need to try to be weird, okay? Some, some of you all need to stop being so weird. But, but hagios is this word that 
was used to describe the temple because the temple was different than all other buildings. It was meant to be set apart. It was meant to be, to stand apart from the rest of the buildings. The, the, the Israelite nation was called Hagios, was called different because it was meant to be different than all other peoples. And we as followers of Christ, we are called Hagios. We are called different. So just embrace that reality. We don't need to look around at what modern society is, is saying and secular society and say, how can we make ourselves more acceptable to them? How can, we, how can we get them to embrace us a little bit more? No, our eyes need to be on King Jesus and he himself sets us apart in such a, a fiery, unique way that the curiosity of humble hearts will be drawn to his glory. They will be drawn to his beauty. They'll see a flicker of the beauty of Christ and they'll be drawn to him. And their knees will bow to him, those that humble themselves. Actually, this is what John, this is what Jesus said in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's not a passage that, that we oftentimes cling to. And we see this so often in the modern church. So, so many church leaders, pastors, bending over backwards to somehow be more palatable to the world. But churches will be filled if, if our eyes are on King Jesus and he comes and visits us. That's where, you know, where Jesus was, the, the rooms were filled, the places were packed because he is that beautiful, because he is that glorious. But we don't need to change the message. In fact, I just had a, a pastor friend this week, uh, I found out he, he made a, a declaration to his church that he was changing the gospel. He was changing the message of Jesus to be one where he said, our church is now 100% affirming of sin. We are affirming, uh, specifically, he was addressing homosexuality. He said, we will be, we will be affirming of the homosexual lifestyle. He's changing the gospel. This is what the gospel says. It says, come as you are, come all. You are welcome to come as you are. And in my presence, I will change you. That's what he says. It doesn't say come as you are and then leave the same. He gets down with the brokenhearted and he says, where are your accusers? Now go and sin no more. That's what he says. That's the beauty of the message of Jesus. And so this, this common message that came out of even my, my friend, you know, who um, is a follower of Jesus, I believe is sincere. It came out of really a process of, of what he said was studying and reading and listening to voices and listening to other people's opinions. It wasn't by him on his knees in the presence of the Lord saying, God, convince me of, of what you think about these things and how to convey this message to a world that desperately needs to hear it. It wasn't that. It was study of popular opinion and and study of what the modern, modern um, thinkers are saying. And so my heart breaks. You know, I, I felt led to, to go in this direction well before I had heard about that, but this is a relevant message for today. We don't need to change our message. Our eyes need to be on King Jesus. And let me be clear in, in regards to what other churches say in regards to human sexuality. The church, I feel like, has, has done a poor job in regards to God's intentions for sexuality. And, and so heterosexual sin is, is, is wrong. 
Adultery is wrong, divorce is wrong, homosexual sin is wrong, homosexuality as a lifestyle is, is sin. Let me be clear about that. And the church has oftentimes gone that wrong and in a sense of self-righteousness and oftentimes hypocrisy have done a lot of damage. And then what happens is the church t- tries to correct in the wrong way and go, go to another extreme and then, and then they lose the power of the gospel. And so self-righteousness is wrong, hypocrisy is wrong, and we're gonna speak about all that this morning, so, so get ready, buckle up. It's gonna get good. Um, as we walk into the presence of Jesus, we're all laid bare, all of us. We come into the presence of Jesus and it's all exposed, so all games die and all hypocrisy and masks and superficiality dies as we come into the presence of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 15 says that in the light of the face of the king, there is life. And his favor is like the clouds that bring the, the, the spring rain. That's the presence of the Lord. It's in the face of Christ, our king. There is life. There's favor there. And it's refreshing for our soul. So we're going to talk about that this morning. The invitation to come into the presence of the Lord. Let's read this, in, starting in verse five, 1 John chapter one. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the gospel of Christ. It's an invitation to come into the very light of God, the glory of God in the person of Jesus. But there is a human tendency that John is calling out that, is, that resides in all of us. And it's a human tendency to hide from God's beauty, to self-protect, to control. Like in a very real way, when I was a little kid, there was a, a moment where I had some of my friends in my living room and and they, we were kind of rehashing a story and I told a blatant lie with my dad standing right there. And I knew I lied. It wasn't just like uh, I got things wrong. No, I blatantly lied because I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends and my dad was right there. And immediately just like washed over me. The shame and the foolishness and that feeling of I'm gonna run and hide and that's what I did. I I literally left, my friend standing there, my dad there, I left in humiliation and I went and locked myself in the bathroom and I just felt like such a fool because of what I had just done and the shame of it just like washed over. My dad came, he said, Drew, is everything all right? Why Why did you lie about that? And I just could not look him in the eyes. That is like our human tendency before the Lord. I mean, think all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? They went and, they went and hid, trying to hide from God himself. That's what we do. We, we run away from the presence of God. And in that, we are making a declaration through our actions of what we believe about God 
and what we believe about ourselves. We think we can somehow save ourselves, preserve ourselves, control and manage our sin in such a way that then we can come before God. And we distrust his character. Not that there shouldn't be a sense of shame regarding our our sin. There should be in in a sense that draws us to God's kindness and his generosity and allows us to bring ourselves on our knees before him and confess our sins to him as verse nine just said where we find that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I wanna talk about that this morning. The Lord is our light and he right here is inviting us to walk in his light, to walk with an awareness of his presence. Day in, day day out, not just on Sunday mornings in the perfectly curated environment with Pastor Scott, with his beautiful melodious voice singing our, our, our favorite song, But Monday morning, when the realities of life encounter us and things are pressing in around us, that we walk in the light of the Lord, that we stop running from his presence. And so I want to unpack what John, what I believe John means by walking in the light and what he means by walking in the darkness. What does this, what does this light mean? encompass that he's referring to. When he says the Lord is light, God is light, and we, we can walk in his light. The light of the Lord refers to his splendor and his beauty, the beauty of the Lord. Think all the way back to the beginning. The Lord said, let there be light. He is the source of all life, all order and beauty in the universe. He is the source of all things. And then fast forward all the way to the end of the story. In Revelation chapter one, this, or 21, this will be on the screen. This is, this is where this is all headed. He is the source of all beauty, all splendor in the universe, and all eyes will be captured by him in the end of all things. He says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the, na- will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. That's where this whole thing is headed. This place where that, the role of the sun in our solar system, the role that that plays in the, in the, in the world to come, there's coming a day where all eyes will be, will be uh, lit up by the beauty and the splendor of Christ himself. So the light refers to his beauty and his splendor. When he's telling us to walk in his light, walk with a sense of wonder at the beauty and the splendor of Christ himself. Secondly, the light refers to his holiness. Throughout scripture, there's this sense that the holiness of the Lord is is like light. In its, both in it, it um, being able to like burn up anything else that's not, that's not holy, and also in just the um, almost inability to look directly at it. He is so set apart. He is holy. So his light refers to his holiness. He is set apart, and the Lord has revealed that to us, to humanity, from the very beginning that he is holy. Third, the light refers to the fact that God is self-revealing. That light oftentimes is in reference to revelation. And even in philosophical 
um, verbiage. They would refer to enlightenment, right? Like this, this idea that the light bulb came on. Like you began to understand rightly. You began to understand things and see things rightly. That's in reference to the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself. He has not stayed, he has not remained hidden in, in, in the shadows, but he has come into the light in a way that reveals himself to humanity. 1 Peter chapter 2 says it like this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession for this end. This is, this is our calling as, as the church. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now we have this privilege, this responsibility to proclaim the, the light that has come on in, our, in terms of our understanding. God has revealed himself to us. And is that not what it means to simply be a light in this world? We're just telling people about what God has done in our life. God has revealed himself to me. You're not saying that you understand everything perfectly, you understand everything rightly, but in your experience and for what God has revealed to you about himself, this is what you share with other people. So you don't try to share what other, other people know about God, you share with people what God has revealed to you about himself in the person of Christ. You do that and you do that well and God will use you. God will use you well in your life. So God is light. Fourth is this. His light refers to the role of his presence in our life. The role of his presence in our life. Light is the revealer of, of the stains and the, and the marks of sin. And the Lord is the one who provides the answers for those things. So his presence is that invitation for us to be laid bare before God Almighty. And that's really what 1 John is referring to is that fourth kind of aspect of that analogy of light. John is, is asking for them to come before the Lord. Don't play games. The presence of God is the great revealer of the, um, the real junk that's going on in our life and he alone holds the answers for it. Me and my wife are currently... Um, in the process of getting new carpet in our basement. We have four kids, we've had pets. And so it is time for the carpet to be changed out in our basement. And if you are ever at that point where you're gonna change out carpet, you know, you begin to bring out, you turn up the lights fully, you maybe bring out an extra light, and you begin to look down at the carpet and all of a sudden all these stains begin to be revealed, right? That's what the presence of the Lord does. You come before the Lord and in his kindness, he allows these things to be revealed. Sometimes you didn't even know they were there and it's his goodness, it's his kindness to reveal them in his timing and his perfect timing as the author and the perfecter of our faith and, and then he himself provides the answer. So he never reveals sin in us that he's gonna leave us in. He reveals that and then he gives us an invitation to, to, to find life on the other side of it, to, to walk out of it. He is that sort of great physician that he he reveals the, he diagnoses the sickness and then he also holds the cure. He is so good. So the Lord is light. And the great exhortation from John is for us to walk in that light. Walk in the, blend, the splendor and the beauty. I was about to say blender. Beauty and splendor. But beauty and splendor. Walk in the beauty and the splendor of Christ. Walk in it. 
Be amazed by it. If your heart is beginning to grow dull, if your heart is beginning to grow apathetic and and bored, get on your knees before the Lord. Sing one of these anthems we sang this morning and allow your heart to begin to burn with wonder, the beauty of Christ. Walk in his holiness. Declare that he alone is set apart, that he is different, that he is altogether holy. Walk in the fact that God does not rejoice in staying hidden, staying in the shadows, but he is self-revealing. He is a God that has chosen to reveal himself to humanity. And walk openly with your life laid bare before his presence. So what about his darkness? What about the darkness? That's how John uses that analogy to invite us to walk in the light, but he also gives reference to this alternative path of walking in darkness. This path of self-deception. He said, if we say we, say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So what is this life of, of darkness, this path of darkness? that we can choose to walk down. This is a common analogy throughout scripture and specifically the New Testament. And most often the path of darkness, to walk in darkness refers to a life before Christ, a Christless life where we we live in rebellion against God. We place ourselves, our own appetites on the throne of our hearts. Colossians chapter one, verse 13 through 14 says like this, that he delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So before Christ, we walked in this darkness, this life of, it's a, it's a kingdom where the enemy tempts us to believe this this idea that we can rule ourselves, that we can be king, that we can be Lord. And we believe it, we take the bait, we fall down that path, that path of darkness. It's the Christless life. Second thing, darkness represents hostility towards God. John in his gospel, so the fourth gospel, says it like this, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is Christ. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So from the very beginning, God has allowed this this, um, battle in the cosmos to exist between light himself and darkness. So darkness is in hostility against God. We We know how the story ends. We know that the Lord will be victorious and we know that Darkness will not overcome light, but there is this sense that darkness is hostile against God. Third is this, light rep- or darkness represents ignorance and confusion. And we begin to see that here in 1 John. The stupor, uh, the stupor that comes with darkness and the self-deception that comes with it. Jesus said it like this in John 12, this will be on the screen. The light is among you for a little while longer. He's speaking of himself. Walk walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness 
does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So this one who is walking in darkness is just stumbling around. They're confused. And that's where we were before we knew Christ. When we look around the world, that's why everything seems so chaotic. It's because the confusion that comes with darkness, it's, there's ignorance and confusion all around if we walk in darkness. And fourth is this, and this is most blatantly what John is talking about in 1 John, it's secrecy and trying to maintain control of our sin. And this is so often what ravages the church, is secrecy and trying to maintain control of our sin. It's sin management, it's, it's playing games in the house of God. So verse, verse six, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so we are gonna see in the weeks to come, and we began to address it last week, that the litmus test of our fellowship with God is going to be manifest in our relationship with other people. And so if we only have this picture-perfect relationship with God, but we look around and there's always this wake of destruction and chaos and, and uh, dysfunctional relationships around us, we should get on our knees and consider whether our relationship with God is all that great. Are we really living openly before the Lord? Is, is our life really laid bare before the presence of God like we think it is? Because again and again and again, and John makes it clear, James makes it clear as well, real fellowship or friendship or relationship with God will be demonstrated in relationship with other people. Verse seven, God himself says it better than me. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So walking in the light is equated to walking in friendship with God and it will be equated to friendship with other people, actual fellowship, deep-seated, deep-hearted, genuine, authentic, accountable, submitted, honoring relationship with other people. But there's something about this path of darkness that's so contrary to that, and it's secrecy and trying to maintain, maintain control of our sin, thinking that we can figure it out. If we if we can just have enough time. And that's, that's the lie, that's the deception of the path of darkness is, is thinking that we can somehow save ourselves, that we can somehow figure our way out of this. Like, that's the age old issue. It's the old, age old issue of, of discarding the goodness of the Lord, where he says, come, come into my presence. Come into the light, I have an answer, child. I wanna teach you the way. So a few takeaways that I want us to consider this morning. I want to exhort us as a family to walk in the light, walk in the presence of the Lord for this reason, because truth is the creator of fellowship. Truth is the creator of fellowship. All fellowship, the basis of that actual friendship and relationship will be to the degree that there is actual truth, that there's actual depth of reality. There's substance to it. Otherwise, what are we doing? Like, I mean, we're just playing games, right? But where there is truth, there is freedom, there is authenticity, there's raw power, there's real friendship with God. So I would encourage you, 
even in your own, apart from a Sunday morning, get on your face before the Lord. Get into his presence. Lay it all out there before him. If you are prone to religious games, if, you, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been around church a lot, you feel like you kind of know the right things to do, the right things to say, to, to trick people, I encourage you to get on your face before the Lord. Truth is the creator of real friendship with God, of real fellowship, and just lay it all bare before him. Trust his goodness, trust his kindness, that he invites you into his presence to show you the way out of that path, that path of darkness. Second is this, trust the cleansing nature of the blood. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the gospel. That's the good news of the Lord. That if we come into the light and we're open and as things are revealed, we just confess them openly. We allow our hearts to be laid bare before him, whatever it is, any addiction or thought pattern or bitterness or offense or, or religious pride or whatever it is, we allow his blood to wash over us. There's righteousness and forgiveness there waiting for us. And I think it's so interesting if you actually look at the, the Greek there, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but if you just look in our modern day, you can look at the, the Greek verbiage and if we confess, that word to confess, that verb is in present tense, present active. It is an invitation for you and I to live in continual confession before the Lord. Not in some sort of introspection. You don't need to go searching for this stuff. I'm saying as you come into his presence and your heart is pricked, then you confess it to the Lord and say, take it, Lord. I wanna receive forgiveness for that. I know your blood is sufficient, so cleanse me, wash me. And it's amazing the encounters that come in your life when God sets you free as his presence reveals these things. And that is what it means to, to be made into the image of Christ over a lifetime, a lifetime from glory to glory. That's present tense right now. He is faithful right now. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how long you've been playing the games. Get on your face before the Lord and trust the cleansing nature of the blood. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys, but I've, we have been contending and even as we start um, this house of prayer as a church family, you know, we are contending for nothing less than a move of God in our day, in our generation, in this city, in this region, a true revival where God comes and visits us in such a beautiful way. But as you look throughout his history, church history, and you look at true revivals, true moves of God, they're always marked by confession. They're always marked by, well, repentance, but even before that, confession. Because the, the real um, revealer of the, the substance of the presence of God is people being humbled humbled by his beauty, by his holiness. And oftentimes it's the people that just don't know better. It's the people who haven't been playing the religious games. But my prayer is for even people who've played religious games can come into the light. But it's oftentimes people that have 
been disenfranchised by the church. People have been in complete rebellion against God. They come into his presence. And there is this sense that, oh, God can be trusted with my confession. They begin to confess their, confess their sins. They, they begin to come into the light and realize that he is so good and he holds the answer. His blood is enough. And that's the basis then of true community, true New Testament community. It's that sort of wild freedom that comes from openness before the Lord. Because then what do we have to hide before our brothers and our sisters, right? If we're open and honest before God, then, then everything's free game before everyone else. If we truly have that sense of honor, reverence for the Lord, right? You guys tracking with me? That makes sense. Like if we truly revere God as the holy one, the uncreated one, and we're open and, and laid bare before him, then what does it matter for those around us? If we know we can stand before our judge, that's the basis of then all true friendship. That's why every move of God is also marked by such otherworldly community and fellowship. Like we, we had like glimpses of revival in my college years at North Dakota State where hundreds of students came to know Christ in a matter of months. It was quite wild. It was quite miraculous. There was no explanation for it. There was no campaign. There was no, our pastor had been there for 15 years. He was just faithful to the Lord and God swept in. And still those, those friendships of those seasons are, well, Pastor Scott was there. <laughs> the Lord brought him back into our life here. So many long, uh, lifelong relationships and friendships were birthed in the place of openness to the presence of God. And so it is throughout church history. You, you look back and moves of God that took place in the, the 90s or the 70s or the turn, of the turn of the century. These moves of God were marked by also deep, deep friendships and relationships because they were, they were birthed in the presence of God. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.